This episode is brought to you by the Big Ears Festival, taking place from March 21st through 24th, 2024 in Knoxville and featuring an incredible range of performers from Herbie Hancock to Laurie Anderson to Kurt Vile. BigEarsFestival.org. This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds. She, you know, her, how do I say it without sounding too woo-woo, but I mean, you know, you can you can hear. She's got, she's, she's sort of singing from a very ancient place. Um and a quite an ancient wisdom, I suppose. And you can hear, you know, that's in her voice. That's in, that's like, you know, when she sings, you're, you're hearing through the years, through her voice. Um, and yeah, I think she, she was, and her music will always be very connected to something ancient. And, um, and I, I think that's why people were so affected by her singing and by her songs and her presence. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Songwriter Beth Orton's work in the mid-1990s helped usher in a new era for both electronic and folk music by melding electronic sounds with acoustic instruments to achieve a warm and personal, but also boundary-pushing, sound that still feels modern almost 30 years later. She has continued to pursue that sound since, and now with eight full-length releases behind her, Orton's vision of subtle, low-key electronic instruments being used in service of what might be traditionally called folk music has proved prescient. Orton will perform at this year's Big Ears Festival in March in Knoxville, Tennessee. The first song Orton chose as being formative for her was I Am Stretched on Your Grave 
by Sinead O'Connor. picked is by Sinead O'Connor and it's called Stretched on Your Grave um it felt like you know I had to um say something and we should hear something by Sinead O'Connor um she died last year sadly and um yeah I just I just wanted to kind of talk about a song or talk about her generally as someone who influenced me very much when I was younger and who I suppose it's funny when when someone dies and you revisit them, um, you kind of connect with all the ways, again, that they have kind of been part of your life. And as someone who at that point didn't think or didn't know that I would become a songwriter or a singer myself, I look back on her music and I hear all the ways that she has influenced me. And um, so I picked stretched on your grave and was reading about it today and interesting it's a poem that she um was reciting to basically just um james brown funky drummer she she um yeah it's 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 beautiful it's um and i and i hear how much that went on to influence decisions i made in terms of sort of taking more traditional music and blending it with various sounds and beats and I suppose how that came naturally and why I would have thought that was a good idea um even for the most kind of traditional of sounding songs you know for acoustic songs in some ways um so yeah I I I wanted to hear that song and talk about that song and Sinead O'Connor you know it's interesting that you um bring her up and bring up that um song or that type of song in particular because she's just another guest um uh recently brought her up and a song that is not necessarily similar to that but a song that has um a quality of being something that is could be about now and also could be about 200 years ago <laughs> um which is not necessarily something that was present in all her music but I think um was definitely a, a quality that she tapped into a lot. And I think that people um, uh, uh, responded to in her music a lot. Um, is that something that makes sense to you? I think Sinead O'Connor pulled on tradition um, and she, she, you know, her, how do I say it without sounding too woo woo, but I mean, you know, you can, you can hear she's got, she's, she's sort of singing from a very ancient place um, and a quite an ancient wisdom, I suppose. And you can hear, you know, that's in her voice. That's in, that's like, you know, when she sings, you're, you're hearing through the years, through her voice. 
Um, and yeah, I think she she was, and her music will always be very connected to something ancient. And um, and I I think that's why people were so affected by her singing and by her songs and her presence and. And I think that's it's. It was kind of extraordinary the outpouring when she died. In your, um, I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was really beautiful because I think she touched so many people in ways that I don't think people really knew. Other others had that that same. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. Just that passion. She 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 inspired in others and um, and came in through her music. Came out through her music. That um, that quality you talked about of sort of um, wanting to combine um, like club sounds with that more kind of traditional uh, singer songwriter approach, I mean that's something that she um, um, was uh, you know part of her music from early on, and then it was you know as you pointed out it was something that was evident you know in some of your earliest music as well. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about the roots of that for you and, and why that was something that made sense to you? I think it's about authenticity. And um, I became a songwriter um, by chance, really. Um, I loved writing um, and I found out I could sing. And then I was really intrigued, though I didn't believe necessarily that I could sing. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, a confident singer songwriter. I hadn't always wanted to do that. It wasn't even something. Anyway, so but um, so when I started making music, it was very important to me that it be authentic to my experience and my life. And it turned out that I wrote songs on acoustic guitar, but to kind of imagine myself as the sort of pure folk singing, you know, lady, gal, kid, whatever I was at that point, just seemed inauthentic. So for me, it wasn't like I was out raging at the clubs all the time, but I was, you know, I was really into music and I was really into dancing and I was, I was, it wasn't like a kind of scene necessarily at that point. Um, And I suppose... When I started writing songs, they are quite, you know, they're from the heart. They're quite straightforward. But for me, the kind of um, ability to really sing into the depth of what I felt they were about was to have a bit of grit. And when I could, you know, not always. Um, And um, I think working with beats working with sounds and atmospheres in the way that I started to with say Andrew Weatherall um on my first record was um was allowed it allowed for me to really go in deeper on the songs I was writing and I think I started out as well I worked with the Chemical Brothers and that was pretty you know that turned out to be really amazing wild music and but again I didn't I didn't come to it with anything but who I was and I really again enjoyed that 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 kind of like that meeting point and um when I hear Sinead O'Connor singing I'm stretched on your grave 
over a James Brown drum. And I love the simplicity of it as well. I love that it is just that loop and her singing almost pretty much. Not entirely, but, you know, it's very spare. And it adds such a lot to the sound of her voice, to the words. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's like it makes total sense um, that that what she's saying is given a kind of more, I don't know, there's a, there's a weight to what she's saying anyway. It's really it's just beautiful poetry, spoken, sung in the most sort of, as we say, ancient tradition. And I don't know how that, that, that when, when you put a drum, when you put a drum to that, it's just something else, some, some other kind of ancient truth kind of evolves. So anyway, I suppose that sort of naturally happened. Also, I worked with William Orbit. He's who um, f- found me as a singer. He's who decided, but he said I could sing and he um, taught me how to write songs. So um, a song like She Cries Your Name, um, I would basically go to his house and where he had his studio in Crouch End and um, he would be working on all sorts of crazy stuff like Madonna, Justify My Love, Seal, Crazy. He was working, I can't even remember all the people he was working with on remixes and stuff. And I I was like 19. I had no idea of this world that he, like the pop, I was sort of, you know, I was a little punk growing up and I, um, but I loved Prince and I think he was working on a Prince song. Anyway, it was amazing. But, um, and he'd pay me like, couple of hundred quid or something like that to do backing vocal like um and ah and then um one time I just started to um and ah a bit more and do my own thing and then he started building a little thing and then we did this song water from a vine leaf and um and I did some spoken word because yeah and that was you know that's sort of how it all began and then and then I started singing this melody that was the song she cries your name and Basically, he taught me how you write a verse. And I understood verses because I love poetry, so I liked writing. I mean, I loved other people's poetry. I wasn't exactly like a prolific poet myself, but I loved, I I understood the form. And um, I started to write my songs that way. And he had guitars sitting in his studio, so I started to write on his guitars. And, um, you know, really simple chords. Like I had this blues book at home. So I just used to like go through and find little chord progressions I liked and then melodies would just tumble out and that that was what wrote um, Trailer Park and Central Reservation and then beyond that I started to sort of develop, just play around, find tunings and so on and that's how I sort of became a songwriter anyway. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, did, did you ever, I don't know, I don't, uh, I, I don't, think that you ever worked together but did you ever meet her um did i meet Sinead o'connor i think i might have met her at a hal wilner um i can't remember which one it was but hal wilner used to do you know the group shows with all different people and definitely she was one of them i don't know if i got to meet her my memory is terrible and um but also i i don't remember it might have happened who knows
The second piece of music Orton chose as being essential to forming her sensibilities was My Queen is Nanny of the Maroons by Sons of Kemet. So my my second song, um, My Queen is Your Nanny, um, Sons of Kemet. And I chose Sons of Kemet because Shabaka is playing at um, Big Ears Festival, which I'm very, very excited to see and hear. I just saw him do a concert in London, his last concert on saxophone, um, Love Supreme, which was extraordinary and just beautiful night and very moving to be part of or to it felt like I was part it felt like everyone in the room was part you know of the show it felt like we were all on like yeah that's true actually it felt like that and um so I've picked that song and I also I also wanted to talk about Sons of Kemet because Tom Skinner who played on my last record big part of that record and um and I suppose again we're talking about influences and and um, definitely he was a big influence on the last record. And I think listening to Sons of Kemet before and after, again, you just think, oh, I see. I, I can hear where, where you know, you know, we imbibe other people's sort of thing a little bit. I, I don't think it was conscious. I didn't know the band that well, but I've come to really love the band since working with Tom and, and, um, and kind of digging in deeper to that and, yeah, so I wanted to kind of give a little nod and a wink to to Shabaka. Um, he he seems to have have taken a really um, kind of central place in British music, and maybe not a short time. I mean, it seems like a short time here. I guess maybe more than it does there. Um, but. Um, it's it's kind of remarkable. Um, I don't know if people in the U.S. really have a an understanding of of uh, what a force he's become um, there. I guess maybe I don't have a good understanding of what a force he's become there. Well, I don't know about all that business, but I know that the South London Massive have, have just like you know taken over London. Um, there, there's this you know it's um, actually I don't even know if Shabaka's from South London, but Tom Herbert beautiful players people that played on my my record it's again um just just there's some really beautiful music coming out of london right now and i'm really happy to be living here and kind of tapping into that a bit and and being friends with those people the community feels really exciting and really strong but really like i i don't see it as like massive in some kind of kind of 
I don't know. It just feels really homegrown and and natural. And like these are all friends. They're all friends from school. A lot of them. So it's really it's a really sweet, beautiful bunch of people. Really, and and really really heartfelt music. Really, I think everyone in that that I've met from this world. I love the idea that you know you think about the intention of the music you're making and the people you're working with and. What is that? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Rather than just like, oh yeah, get this person in because you know they're the latest, whatever. But I, I mean, you know, if, someone like Tom Skinner, I just have, I've been a fan of his for like wanting to work with him for like 15 years cause, since we did a tour together with um, Ted Barnes, who I worked with with Trader Park and Central Reservation and beyond for many years, and um, they had a band together back then, and so. Um, yeah, and it was always we were always thinking about ways we could work together. It never happened, but and and now it has, and it's gorgeous. And yeah, and so Shabaka. But I I don't know about like what the world will make of it. I mean, I'm sure whatever, not my business. <laughs> Beyond Video is a volunteer-run video library in Baltimore. Basically, an old-school video rental store reimagined with a 21st century nonprofit twist. Beyond offers nearly 30,000 titles from every region, era, and genre of cinema on DVD, Blu-ray, and VHS. A collection created by crowdsourcing disc donations from movie lovers like you. With no rental fees or late fees, members get unlimited rentals from their collection for a small monthly donation. Find out more about joining or donating at beyondvideo.org. Or when in Baltimore, visit Beyond at 2545 North Howard Street. And for a limited time, new members who mention Essential Tremors when signing up will get an extra month for free. What do Tony Conrad, Reese Chatham, Captain Beefheart, and Faust have in common? Each have legendary recordings on the table of the Elements record label. Long out of print, these and other records from the label are available again with the Table of the Elements Discovery Box, available only at WithinThings.com. Within Things Curiosity Shop has partnered with the label to help continue their legacy of connecting sound with listeners since 1993. Visit WithinThings.com and search Table of the Elements to learn more. The final piece of music Orton chose as being crucial to her was Goodbye Mr. Blue by Father John Misty. This may be the last time Last time I put on my shoes mm. Go down to the corner and Buy the damn cat the expensive food That Turkish Angora's about the only thing left of me and you mm. Early this morning, 
he started making sounds that say, Don't the last time come too soon. The reason I want to talk about um, Goodbye Mr. Blue by father, what's his name? John Misty, that guy, is because it's funny. It's a funny song. I love a funny song, but it's so, it's so, it's like that, that humor and pathos thing. But the other reason I want to talk about it is it allows me to talk about Little Green Apples by Roger Miller. It lets me talk about Wichita Lime Man and um, Gentle on My Mind by Glen Campbell. Just like all rolled into one because he literally has just like ripped off all those songs to make that one song, which is brilliant. And it's so obvious and it's like he's not hiding it. And um, but I think this I, I love I, I'm really I really appreciate the song because I think it's such a good example of songwriting and um and it's it's just it's it's got all the lightness of those of of the Roger Miller Little Green Apples and the and the, and the Wichita Line Man and you know the Glen Campbell sound feel it's such a it's such an kind of like um I don't want to say homage but it is it's like I I feel it's written with reverence to its sources and I love that I love to know where a song comes from I know that I you know give another a nod and a wink that expression again to um songs that I love and in my music I um anyway um maybe not as blatantly as this one but it's such a good song and the lyrics are so good and it's funny but it also really it's really it's it's deep and it's sad and it's like you know there's 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 a lot going on in there anyway I just wanted to throw that out just so I could talk about all those songs combined because there's some of the best songwriting ever I love Glenn and Campbell I love I love all those, that that era of songwriting. Um, it's great. Well, you know, it's uh, I personally have always responded um, to uh, songs and songwriters who it feels like they've you know ripped something out of themselves and and put it on a record or put it into a performance. I mean, it's hard not to respond to, to that, but um, it's also ha- really hard not to admire. Uh, songwriters who are smart and canny and um, find a way to craft something. Um, And especially sometimes something, and you know, I I hear what you're saying about it being something that's also sad and and has this emotional impact. But, you know, people like Roger Miller and uh, Jimmy Webb, who I think I think he wrote both of those uh, Glenn Campbell songs. Okay, yeah, that's that's. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, wrote yeah, yeah. Songs. Okay, are yeah. you know are both just really super smart, really clever songwriters, and um, and Roger Miller in particular is is a super brainiac songwriter. Was a super brainiac songwriter and really funny. And I've always admired uh, songwriters who know exactly what they're doing and like go for a certain effect and get it. And then like, Mm. uh, you know, and I don't know if this is my own personal hobby horse, but like songwriters who figure out something. And then um, like, I always thought it was like Prince was a genius in lots of ways, but I always thought it was genius for him to uh, write a song called 1999. You know, tonight we're going to party like it's 1999, thereby guaranteeing that he was going to get royalties every new year's for the next however many years until it was actually I hear you, 1999. Okay. I hear what you're saying about the canny songwriter. Yeah. The kind of yeah. using the brain to write songs. Right. 
And I think because I have a real difficulty with doing that, I really enjoy people who can. And I really, it's like, it's like revisiting Shane McGowan. Like, but the thing is, I will say that I think someone like Glenn Campbell or um, Jimmy Webb, they do right from the heart they do rip it out of themselves as well so it's like both at once it's like it's like this this yeah and um but yeah i am really interested like 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 fairy tale of new york i've been listening to that a lot obviously it's been christmas and stuff again you could say i work i mean i can see how clever he was as well right can he um to write a song but but at the same time like fair play because he wrote it so well you know if you're gonna if you're gonna be be like right like that then then I feel like that song you can have an idea that's clever but you gotta have a lot of heart to pull it off and I really do believe that Shane McGowan that is an example of a perfect song the way the melody the way that it's just it's just it's just extraordinary if you listen to I mean obviously everyone does but it's just I've just been listening to it a lot and just you can literally hear everything he's singing about as in you can hear the sound of the street you can hear the bells you can hear the and they're not even they're not even in the song you know you can feel everything you can you're in that you're in the drunk tank with him you're you're like and I feel like that when I listen to Glenn Campbell I feel like that when you know I hear those songs at that time I'm I'm back there and I'm curious you know, I'm curious what it was he was living. And a song like Prince, 1999, it is clever. Like, I've never thought of that, like, of course. But at the same time, like, he he did it so genius. Like, he, um, he wrote to a time that he wasn't even in. And he, it was going to be that. 1999, we all had this feeling like it was going to cross over and something extraordinary was going to happen. So he was writing about an experience that that we were all kind of heading towards and all really interested in. But yes, it also then made him gazillions, I'm sure, and and all that jazz. I mean, I do admire that to a degree because it's done so well and that kind of songcraft. I think that the more I do what I do, the more I really... I love, I've always loved these songs. Um, um, Jimmy Webb's, I, it's interesting, yeah, a, a lot of what he writes and a lot of what Glenn the, the sync, I just, it's the sound, it's the whole kit and caboodle. I just, um, what was I going to say? That's the sound of the foxes, by the way, if you can hear the foxes. Um, what was I going to say to you? Yeah, it's interesting. Songcraft, all about the songcraft. And, um, and now I appreciate it more what it what what it is that's pulling me. But here's the interesting thing: because it's written so well, I can't compartmentalize it. I can't suddenly pull it apart and be like, "Oh, you're just pressing a button there. You're just doing that." Because I, even if I'm like, even if one part of my brain is on, like, "Wow, that's so so brilliantly written," I'm also just still in it. You know, I'm still carried along by it, and that's just. You swear it's not the cat You don't have to answer that I'll just make do 
This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. If only then I knew. Last time was our last time. Would have told you that the last time comes to.